Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. I'm Jane Hong. And I'm Tim Sang. And we're your hosts. This season, we're focusing on the history of Asian American Christianity and the ways it can help us understand our present moment. Thanks for joining us. Hi, welcome to Centering, the podcast of Fuller Asian American Center. I'm Tim Sang, Pacific Area Director of InterVarsity's Graduate and Faculty Ministries. I'm also a historian of American religion with a focus on Asian American Christianity. And I'm Jane Hong, a historian of 20th century U.S. immigration and foreign relations. I'm currently writing a history of how post-1965 Asian immigration has changed and is changing U.S. evangelicalism. Today, we will be talking with Dr. Daniel Lee, the academic dean for the Center of Asian American Theology and Ministry at Fuller Seminary. Welcome, Daniel. It's so good to have you with us. Great to be here. And I'm really excited about this season of the Centering Podcast. So maybe a good place to start our conversation about evangelicalism is by clarifying what we mean when we say evangelical. Daniel, how would you define American evangelicalism? So I know many historians like myself, I suppose, have used the Bebington Quadrilateral, which very briefly emphasizes the authority of scripture, the centrality of Christ's atonement on the cross, conversionism, a view that prioritizes the new birth, and activism, a view that emphasizes the gospel as something that's lived out in discipleship. But the Bebington model, I mean, I've seen many critiques of it. I've seen modifications of it. Um, I've seen many discussions of it. It comes from a 1989 history book written about modern Britain, <laughs> not the U.S. So how would you define evangelicalism for our current U.S. context? So who is an, who is an evangelical in 2021 America? So Jane, I think the Bevington Quadrilateral is generally descriptive. I think it's helpful in terms of kind of describing the general themes. And it's, I think it still applies. You know, historically, as you know, American evangelicalism has its roots in revival movements and traditions going back to uh, the Great Awakening of 1730s and 40s, where you see kind of Puritanism, Reformed theology and pietism all coming together to create something new. Side idea of kind of high view of scripture, personal commitment. I think that's all still relevant today. But what I find to be really helpful is this um, phrase that Gary Dorian uses in his book. He describes evangelicals as anti-modernist modernizers. Basically, they're recovering fundamentalists with such a reaction against enlightened forces. Evangelicals are people who are trying to make sense of how to be respectable fundamentalists in a sense. And that engagement of, and also captive to uh, modern forces, along with capitalism, rationalism, and liberal individualism, I think describes well what what evangelicals are like in the U.S. Right, that interaction with enlightenment forces, like for example, like the idea of like inerrancy or apologetics, or even lacking strong historical consciousness. I think all those are characteristics of evangelicals today. No, I think that's a great kind of historical rooting for us, and you know, we obviously have to acknowledge that how many scholars and academics understand evangelicalism is quite different from what many just kind of general American public, you know, members understand as evangelicalism. So thinking about the politicization of that term over the past few decades, especially in the United States and also the question of race. So how, do, how does race figure into this question of who an American evangelical is? Because it seems like whenever I do see evangelicals in the news, you know, Usually it's folks like Franklin Graham 
and they're almost exclusively white. So how do people of color kind of fit into this definition or formulation of evangelical that you just described? Well, when you think about evangelicalism, along with this kind of modern sentiment, part of the modern sentiment is to kind of emphasize universality over particularity, right? Kind of idealize it in a sense. And uh, my colleague, Amos Young, describes evangelical theology as seemingly ahistorical, acontextual, and acultural. And that view of thinking about what the gospel is and Christianity is basically kind of runs through so much of evangelical theology. And that's basically one of the reasons why I think modern forces kind of end up often hijacking uh, evangelical Christianity in so many different ways. When it becomes kind of scripture and culture, no, scripture and you, the Bible and me, then you don't really have that historical awareness. And, and this kind of connects directly to uh, issues about race. When we look at the demographics of evangelicals, you see, just because, you know, demographics of just American Christianity in general, and there's growing Asian and Latino population, but still, even in the last the last Pew uh, form uh, review or study uh, from 19, uh, 2014 describes still like 75% of evangelicals being white. So just demographically, there's a lot of just white evangelicals in general, right? And we can talk about also institutions because actually the ecosystem that I want to talk about in terms of evangelicalism, which actually helps much to understand what evangelicals are and even amidst diversity is so white. Uh, the structures of evangelicalism are so white. Well, I'm glad, Daniel, that you mentioned the, um, the, the whiteness of the, at least the perception of evangelicalism today. This leads to, I think, a question for all of us who are, are Asian Americans. One, the first part of my question may not be fair to ask you, but how come Asian Americans are evangelical? That, I mean, what did, how did that happen? And if so, is it, is it something that we should identify? Is, is being evangelical something we Asian Americans ought to identify with? I think as far as historically, and maybe Jake can talk about this as well, because, and I know that that's part of your research, but definitely in terms of when post-1965 immigration kind of booms, you have also kind of rise of evangelicalism in, in American Christianity. American Christianity right now, you have, even though like 70% of American population is Christian, you have 25% of that, I mean, 25% of all Americans being evangelical Protestant. And the second largest would be like Catholics, about 20%. So it's the largest segment uh, among the Christian American Christian populations. So when you have such a right, uh, dynamic rise and kind of really evangelistic movement, and then you have all the new immigrants coming in, because before 1965, as you know, Tim, there's a lot of Asian Americans who are not evangelicals. You have a whole... Uh, Protestant, uh, liberal Protestant uh, Christians who are Asian Americans, and that's the early, some of the early uh, uh, Asian American Christians. So there's a historical dimension to that uh, that I think we, we need to kind of remember, right? There's actually a whole Asian, there's a whole Asian American population before before the 1965 Immigration Act. Yeah, I, I think that. So I think that's something. Yeah, I'm sorry, I I didn't know. I, I wanted to follow up on that because what about that generation before and and is. I think one of the conversations I, I often hear is the possibility of liberating American, uh, even Asian Americans from American Protestant uh, evangelicalism. And then just share a little bit about what I mean by this. And may, maybe this makes sense or doesn't, or it may not make sense, but I'll, I'll try. Many folks today are talking about liberating current American uh, Protestant and evangelical historiography from this uh, fundamentalist liberal binary that uh, evangelicals use. So on the one hand, 
Neo-evangelicalism is not a third way. On the other hand, what many would dismiss as historical liberalism of the social or social gospel Christianity was actually itself quite diverse and included what we today would identify as evangelicalism. And then there's also Christine uh, Demez's uh, idea that even if you look at evangelicalism today, it's actually not one movement, but a multiple types of evangelicalisms if you include African-Americans, Asians, and others. So I think this has um, implications for, for us as Asian-American Christians. Do we have to use the current definition of evangelicalism to define ourselves? And does it, how does that impact our theological and ministerial training? I don't know. What do you think, Daniel? It's a very open question. <laughs> yeah, we're covering a lot. I think first thing, you know, the whole, the reason why a lot of scholars don't like the term, I mean, in terms of like technically evangelical is because it's so broad, right? It starts, there's a historical way of thinking about it. And actually, when you look at the particular development of evangelicalism, as it connects to like institutions like uh, Christianity Today and, and, and Fuller, I mean, Fuller is part of the evangelical formation, right? So they're coming out of fundamentalism. But if you look at the label, it includes Pentecostals before historically it used to be more reformed in terms of evangelicals, but now it includes Western traditions. There's so much non-denominational. So it actually ends up more and more being a cultural definition, right? Than any kind of confessional one. And that's part of the issue that makes it very difficult in terms of kind of engaging evangelicals. And so the internal diversity has always been there. We just don't, we, we don't always kind of acknowledge that. And then you have a particular representation we get. Now talking about Asian American Christians though, I mean, I know people are trying to leave evangelicals. I mean, everybody, all kind of evangelicals are trying to leave evangelicalism. I think for Asian Americans, it's slightly different than black churches, as you know, because black churches and black community, I think one example would be like historically black colleges, right? And the historically black institutions. And even though some of the black churches might be closer to evangelicalism, they have a different historical trajectory and historical tradition that allows them to have a lot more flexibility than, for example, some of the Asian American evangelicals. No, I mean, these are some great questions. And I these are things I think a lot about as I'm doing my research. I mean, I've been using so much of Tim's work on Chinese American Protestantism. And I think what Tim says is the shift from kind of mainline social gospel, liberal Protestantism dominance to evangelical dominance, largely because of post-65 um, immigration. But then I've been writing a lot about this, and this is the first chapter of my of my book. I've been looking at the kind of shift from mainline to evangelical dominance. And for Japanese Americans, the story is very different. It seems like denominations don't really matter as much. There's a lot more fluidity and porousness. Um, and I need to look at other groups as well, because I know Korean Americans have their own particular story. And if you think about kind of how prominent um, many Korean Americans are within evangelicalism. I know this is something that you talked about, Daniel, with um, Professor Rebecca Kim. I just saw your uh, conversation with her uh, on the Fuller website, just thinking about the dominance of Korean Americans today and what that means for Asian American evangelicalism. I might ask you a little bit, or I would be interested to hear your thoughts on that, but just thinking about the demographics question, I mean, you know, I've thought, I've kind of crunched some of the numbers in terms of what percentage of American or U.S. evangelicals are Asian American, we're talking about single digits, like less than 3%, right? And on the one hand, you're, you know, you could argue, oh, not statistically significant, right? On the other hand, we know that, you know, in the past few years, we've seen all these, you know, Asian Americans um, 
come to these positions of leadership within very prominent historically white evangelical institutions. So we know there's a story there and that's you know part of the reason why I'm writing this history. But I mean, it is worth kind of thinking about kind of Asian Americans, um, our relationship to evangelicalism, the history of it, but then also, I think Daniel, you're, you're very careful to talk about the differences between ethnic groups. And I think that's really important. And I appreciate how you do that. Because again, as I just suggested earlier, right, among Asian Americans, there are very different experiences um, with evangelical institutions and evangelical histories. And the last thing I'll say is, at least within US history, I feel like this is a kind of historical scholarship and conversation that, that you know, white scholars have, they've actually framed the conversation. And so folks like me, when we enter the conversation, we're entering the conversation on other people's terms. And so I think that's also, in many ways, I would argue, you know, the situation of many Asian American Christians today, it's, it's, we don't, we didn't kind of create the structures that you mentioned. And so it's a question of how we negotiate them. Do you have any, any thoughts about <laughs> such a small question, such a, such small thoughts? <laughs> well, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think first off, let's think about this. Asian American evangelicals are part of the evangelical ecosystem. That's one of the fundamental issues, right? Churches, parachurches, I mean, pastors, scholars, the book you read, the worship resources we have, the theological training, they're all part of this ecosystem. There are Asian American you know, evangelical leaders, I, I guess, becoming post-evangelical and, and this happening more so, right? Drawing from kind of mainline and, and that distinction between evangelical and mainline is becoming kind of, uh, for a lot of people, just mute, right? But I would say there's still a significant number of people in, in the pews uh, that kind of draw from, you know, contemporary Christian music and worship music and white devotional, evangelical devotional books. So because we're part of this ecosystem, it's very difficult to figure out how to get out of it, right? Even if you're going to forge a different path. I always tell people, my students and other people who are talking about decolonizing everything, let's liberate ourselves. I always tell them it's very easy to destroy something. It's literally it takes a whole another like realm of like effort and training to construct something, right? That's so much more difficult. You can basically react and say some poop on something, but trying to figure out what you're going to do and envisioning something very different. That's really incredibly difficult. So I think that's one thing. The second thing is, even though we're literally like, I think at 3% or something like that is basically what I saw is last time I was looking at it, like, yeah, like 2% or something, three, two or 3% Asian American, the evangelical body. But What's interesting is if you look at seminaries and if you like ATS, you know, uh, Association of Theological Schools, if you look at data, Asian Americans are like, you know, seven, eight percent of the seminary population. If you look at like Southern Baptist Seminary, you know, you have like once again around seven percent. If you come to if you look at Fuller, I mean, it's a lot higher, right? Because we're, we're in California and also we just draw a lot of Asian Americans. But you do have like an outside, I think, impact and presence of Asian Americans in, in evangelical circles. And I think part of that has to do with Asian American ministries and Asian American churches. And I think when we actually move away from, for example, like Korean American churches and having space separately to develop, if we and this is actually one of my concerns about even like multicultural churches in a sense. And some of them, the fact that they're getting rid of some of these specific racial and kind of ethnic specific ministries, we're going to have lack, I think we might lack Asian American leaders possibly if we don't have these specific spaces for Asian Americans, something we don't really think about as much, but so many of the Asian American leaders we see in different denominational leaderships and, and even some of the evangelical institutions grew up in kind of ethnic context. So I wonder about that. That's a really 
interesting point that I haven't thought a lot about. I mean, you know, I know you're are you're ordained in the KPCA, um, right? Is that right? Yes, yes. And I mean, I grew up in a Korean immigrant church, which Tim and I have talked about briefly <laughs> in previous episodes. But since college, I've generally I've generally avoided Korean churches, even Korean American ones and Asian American churches as well. And that's something I still am wrestling through and thinking about, for example, my daughter and how and where I want her to be kind of raised in the faith. So these are these are really good questions um, that I hadn't thought about. Well, I mean, so going back to your question about ethnic diversity kind of, and demographics in a sense, as you know, like Asian American population, I think in terms of the largest numbers, it's Chinese, Filipino, and Indian. They basically make up the biggest, right? The, the largest three. And then you have uh, Vietnamese, Korean and Japanese. And I always remind people that there are more Vietnamese Americans than Korean Americans, and people are always shocked. They're like, what? What does that mean? I'm like, you got, you got to hear the demographic work. Because yes. so many Korean Americans live in these uh, Christian spaces, especially Christian in terms of like Protestant evangelical spaces, where Korean Americans end up being just, just sizable. If you, if you include, when we say Christian, and we include Roman Catholics, then because there's so many Filipino Catholics, it ends up, I think Filipinos might be the largest kind of Christian, Asian American Christians, right? Oh, it's almost like 30% Filipino, like, you know, in terms of like uh, how big the Filipino Catholic body is. But if you look at evangelicals, then you end up with something like, you know, 30, 35, 40% Korean American, right? This is actually based on U.S. census from like a decade ago and also uh, Pew Research Centers on, on Asian American survey. And I was talking to our friend uh, Jerry Park about this thing. So he helped me kind of sort this out in terms of what the demographic looks like. And when I did it like a couple of years, you know, like I guess about five years ago, whatever, it was Korean Americans around 35%, Chinese Americans 25%, Filipinos around, you know, 15%, Indian Americans 11%, Japanese American 10%, Vietnamese American 2% and other. That's basically what it looked like. Now think about that. Korean Americans being like less than 10% of the Asian American population. And then in evangelical circles, almost being 35, maybe like 40%. It's, it's and then when you look at seminaries, because Korean Americans have these, uh, they value educated, you know, uh, uh, educated ministry, you end up having even more because you don't see as much Filipino Americans in terms of seminaries. So we're talking about like 40, 50% in terms of Korean Americans in terms of in, in the seminary system, right? So that gives you a reason for why we see so many Korean American scholars, so many Korean American leaders in different places, which has its pros and cons, which I've actually noted in the in my video, in my conversation with Rebecca about this thing, you know, and saying this is good, but possibly problematic because of uh, issues about ethnic monopolizing. And I can talk about that a little more if you like. Well, I, I think that is a fascinating point because I've observed uh, in my own growing up from childhood to adulthood, the increasing and fascinating um, presence of, of Koreans in all kinds of areas, theological places, as well as churches. But as a Chinese American, uh, I, if I can go back to the his history, I think there's a historical explanation for some of that too. But when I was growing up in the Chinese church, the, the kind of maybe unconscious narrative that I inherited from my white evangelical uh, friends was one that was dominated by a fundamentalist reading of the Christian history. And I think that that felt like it was confining. But I think at the same time, 
history could be liberating. So going back to that conversation we had about looking to the future, and that's really where I'm hoping we can go back to the, the past to find resources for us to find a new future. Let me give you an example of how it could be both, a historical narrative can be both confining and potentially liberating. And this has to do with gender. Christine DeMay's recent book, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, argues that contemporary evangelicalism has been largely shaped by conservative views on masculinity and the, therefore the creation of a subculture that has a very hierarchical view of gender that's very prevalent in almost all of evangelicalism. And I think that there's an intersection there between history and also Asian American culture. So in Chinese circles, I've heard it said, and I think this is also bears itself out, that uh, most of the second generation Chinese Americans, post 65, uh, children of the immigrants, have embraced a clearly hierarchical notion of gender as they engaged American evangelical theology and as they assimilated into American evangelicalism. So in that sense, one story goes that is the more Americanized you become, the more hierarchical you view gender. Another approach to this is to say that, well, you know, the fact that Chinese Christians are conservative on gender roles is just an extension of conservative Confucian culture within these churches. So I think there's truth in both perspectives, but I, I wonder, Daniel, based on what, what you've observed, how, how have you seen this question played out in, uh, in circles, of other Asian American Christian circles, and do you, do you think a historical review of that might help uh, us address this in the future? of kind of looking at the history of uh, women in ministry and leadership you know like even for, for example like in the Pentecostal movements or even different revival movements you see a lot of women leaders but as think get institutionalized once again patriarchy sits in I, I would say that it, the gender problem is not just evangelical in terms of like I mean you have particular evangelical problems like you know uh, certain denominations that basically still don't ordain women and they have a very patriarchal view which actually I think sometimes uh, people are confusing biblical views for what is a particular historical culture value stuck in time, right? So it's actually not even like contemporary culture value, but a particular historical value. So I think in that sense, it's really helpful kind of thinking about how does these uh, you know values develop? I mean, if you think about like post-war, I mean, post-war too, and Cold War era, where establishing gender roles, so much of that is happening as far as even modern morality develops around that time. So all those dynamics and kind of thinking about the development of those things, uh, how it impacts the church, I think is really, really important, along with, you know, strident kind of uh, McCarthyism and reaction toward anything that smells like socialism, which is just you know, kind of a, a so reactive and not really intellectually, I think, satisfying. I think there's a tendency sometimes to, you know, attribute something to Asian values when in fact it's sometimes Asian values stuck in time, right? In a time capsule because contemporary Asia doesn't look like this. And also there is just a general sense of how churches sometimes end up being places where conservative traditional values end up being enforced because of some of the church, church language. And, and so... I think the church uh, kind of biblical language becomes co-opted to reinforce and support traditional values, no matter where they are. Like, for example, like, you know, whether it be in, in Korea or even like, you know, uh, I'm thinking about Korean church. That means, for example, so much of Korean society has moved and become post-confusion, but some of the Korean churches end up being some of the most post, you know, Confucian institutions, right? Because Confucianism tends to some kind of line up with 
or it sounds like it lines up with traditional biblical interpretations. So it ends up being used that way. But in fact, it's just, uh, once again, it's a particular biblical interpretation that's stuck in uh, a particular historical value, which is really, really bizarre. And this, in that sense, history is really, really significant to see how it develops. I mean, I think that the gender question is is one that I've I've developed a deeper sensitivity to over the years. I grew up in a church, actually, I grew up in a Korean church with a female pastor, which was incredibly unusual um, <laughs> at the time that I was growing up. And it, it didn't really, I mean, I knew it was unusual, but I don't, I don't know, like, I just, I kind of took it for granted at a certain point. Um, and so I think, you know, as an adult thinking about what kind of churches, what denominations you affiliate with. So I think these questions have become a lot more complicated for me as I've learned more. And as I've also become friends uh, with with women in ministry and kind of learned about their struggles and walked with them. And so these are, you know, these are live questions uh, within the church, even now. <laughs> so these are things that are not going to go away, right? Because people, right? People are in these spaces and, and facing these challenges. So Daniel, um, so you currently serve as the academic dean for Fuller Seminary Center for Asian American Theology and Ministry. So I wondered if you could just say a little bit about kind of how the center at Fuller came to be and what are some of the things that, you know, the center is currently involved with and some thoughts and hopes for the future? So the Center for Asian American Theology Ministry, or otherwise known as the Asian American Center, was formally established in 2016. And, you know, we think about our vision as, um, and our mission as research, equip, and, uh, and resource. How do we kind of research what's happening in terms of Asian American, Asian American church? And mostly right, we're oriented toward how do we make a difference, right? Research that actually makes a difference in what people's lives are in terms of what ministry looks like. How do we kind of think about discipleship, mission, and how we think about understanding what the gospel is and equipping, we, you know, in terms of mentoring, we have small groups, we have uh, a number of courses on Asian American identity, uh, pastoral ministry, Asian American theology. And then we, we try to resource the Asian American church, you know, like this podcast, we work with other churches and ministries to either to create resources or train their leaders. So we've done that. You know, we've, we've trained a lot of leaders from university and Epic Movement within Crew. And I think one of the reasons why is because they actually have a specifically, they're actually ethnic ministries within a broader kind of diverse ministry. So their racial kind of or Asian American context is highlighted. Whereas I think a lot of the local churches, they might be Asian American, but they're not theologically thinking about it, which is actually kind of a difference. So I want to kind of note the fact that we've had from the 70s, like Asian Americans at Fuller. I mean, because we're in California, we're in LA, Asian American population is a lot older here. Um, in the 60s, we've had Japanese Americans. They were trying to start a Japanese American program in the, you know, in the 70s, right? So, and then later on in the 80s, we had a Chinese American program for like a decade, which is didn't really kind of take off. And it had its own kind of institutional issues because it wasn't really fully owned by the institution. The funding came from outside. So after the program folded, the whole thing disappeared. In the 90s, we tried to have a Korean American program because we've had a Korean program in Korean for and one of the like, first Korean programs in a seminary for about, you know, I think almost 30 years now. And along with that, they try to develop a Korean American program, not an Asian American one. And as you know, because when you have in seminary context, that's sometimes thinking about things from an international perspective, Asian Americans end up being more specifically kind of categorized in terms of ethnicity right? Nations, ethnicity, like people are here, like Koreans are here in the U.S. in terms of racial category following like university system. And so when we started thinking about this, like, you know, about a decade ago, like I came to Fuller and I was like, there was a time when nothing was happening. because <laughs> so it was like the, the Korean American program didn't really develop. 
And so it's been like over a decade where we've tried to kind of develop an Asian American program at Fuller and it's gone, gone through kind of different iterations, but the center itself kind of formulated and established in 2016. Now, I spent many weeks in the Fuller archives um, over the past two years looking at this history. I plan to write about some of it. So you're right. You, I mean, the Asian American Center follows in a very long line of activism, right, by students, administrators, and a lot of labor, uh, years of labor has gone into this project. And so it's not a small thing. And, you know, I think that that should be um, acknowledged, just how much people have really labored and sacrificed for this vision to come true. Yeah, I mean, I also did some research at Westminster Seminary on the East Coast. I mean, I'm from that area. But yeah, I think I spent some time with, they have a Korean language program that just kind of got revived a few years ago. I spent some time with the lead administrator. Um, this is a couple of years ago, 2019. And so, yeah, there's a lot of conversations happening within the Theological Academy, which I find really interesting. And you're right, Daniel, these conversations in different guises have been going on for many decades. And I think that's worth acknowledging. And speaking of the East Coast, um, so all three of us, <laughs> Tim, you, Daniel, and I, we're all from the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, you and Tim grew up in Metro DC, but then I know you also served in uh, New Jersey church, Daniel, and you were at Princeton uh, PTS uh, for a while. And now we all live in California. Daniel and I are in LA, Tim is in the Bay Area. And so a question for you, to, uh, just a follow-up question is kind of how have you seen kind of regional differences shape, I guess, Asian American evangelism generally, but also, you know, the student, the students that you work with at Fuller. I'll give one example that I've seen recently. And, and by the way, regional differences, Tim and I have talked about this before. This is a big conversation topic in my house because my husband is Korean American, grew up in LA. And so we often talk about different racial sensibilities. But, you know, recently last year with the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter protests, I saw a video of a Chinese American teen from I think the Bay Area kind of confessing that he finally realized that, you know, Chinese Americans like himself were people of color and that he had begun to kind of understand his racial identity more and more through his experiences during the COVID crisis, right? As well as just seeing racial violence play out in places like Minneapolis. And I remember thinking like, really? <laughs> like it's 2019 and, and really like, cause it was so normal for me growing up in Maryland, New York and New Jersey to just feel like a complete minority. That's something I've noticed. And I think other folks have talked about recently, but yeah, just thinking about how regional differences play out. Yeah, I mean, that point about Asian Americans lacking racial awareness it actually happens in different places. I've seen this in both East Coast and West Coast, like in, or East Coast, well, West Coast, I mean, California and everywhere else. I think, I think sometimes in California, this, the, the Asian American bubble is humongous. So you don't really realize like how much, what, what U.S. really looks like. You, you kind of tend to think, I mean, like I live in St. Gabriel Valley, so it's like majority Asian American, the schools are Asian, majority Asian American, the neighborhoods are Asian American. So you, if you live in certain pockets, you could kind of think the fact that there's actually racism is kind of a bicon thing, you know, it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of Asian Americans around. So in that sense, you can be not aware of racial dynamics. In the East Coast, what I've seen is that, and actually in the South, sometimes the white normativity is so strong, you kind of assimilate such, in such a strong way that racism, you know, you're not aware of race. So in different ways, you can be blinded by and, not, and lack that racial awareness. I mean, one of the things that I think I always try to point out is that generally Asian American studies have not impacted American culture or our educational system. So across the board, Asian Americans don't have that 
historical consciousness to understand themselves. And as a result, it doesn't matter how educated you are, you can actually be still quite ignorant about racial dynamics, especially from an Asian American perspective. And this is actually one of the things that I think we try to do at the Asian American Center. Because when we, when we started the Asian American Center, one of the things that we wanted to do is not just kind of focus on a certain ethnic ministry. We didn't want, for example, even though I'm Korean American, we didn't want the whole center to be wink, wink, Korean American Center. Like when I went to Princeton and back then, when I went to Princeton Seminary, it was, I mean, when Sang Lee was running it, it was like, wink, wink, this is actually, we call it Asian American program, but it's really just a Korean American program. And I saw that because I'd done a lot of pan-Asian kind of ministry when I was in college. And I said, that's not how you would do an Asian American ministry. It's really problematic if you do it that way. So connecting with Asian American studies, connecting with history, connecting with Asian American psychology, and really having that robust racial awareness is I think what distinguishes what we try to do than some of the other kind of evangelical Asian American centers that ends up kind of focusing on ethnicity and culture. It's just too narrow to talk about Asian kind of a, a cultural heritage as what we're dealing with when there's such strong uh, racial dimension. And that varies, of course, around the country in terms of what that looks like. There's that, there's ethnic, there's generational difference, ethnic difference, and regional difference. And we always think about that, how different that is when we uh, have people who are doing ministry, like I'm interacting with a, a bunch of pastors from Michigan, and I've been kind of tracking what they're trying to do as they're trying to get together and, and support themselves in some kind of a network. And being Asian American in Michigan, I mean, that's just incredibly different than being in Northern Virginia or, or Houston, for that matter. How do we situate ourselves well? Because we're not trained well to have that level of cultural literacy to articulate where we are. And that's just, a, I think, a, a problem across the board, just nationally for Asian Americans. Yeah. One more question, Daniel. You were kind of alluding to this in terms of different regions and uh, ethnicities. And it's the question about context. I think most, and you mentioned that there are some Asian American churches that don't even acknowledge the Asian American identity or context. I wonder, though, even though we do pay attention to context and almost everything else we do, regional or whatever, but our theology is often a very controversial conversation around contextualized theology. So what would you say to Asian American Christians who say that contextualized theology is adjusting the gospel so that it's based on experience more than the Bible itself? I actually don't start with our experience when we think about uh, ideas of contextual theology or contextualization. I actually don't think that the word contextual theology is helpful because everything's contextual. So I talk about contextuality. How are things contextualized, right? It always starts with me uh, as a theologian with who God is. What kind of a God do we have in Christ? And it turns out historically, uh, when Christianity separated from Israel and kind of ended up with this kind of post-sessionist way of thinking about theology where we said, you know, uh, Israel is kind of one manifestation among many of Christian, you know, uh, faithfulness and or people of God, that's basically where the problem starts, right? What does it mean, the fact that we have a Jewish savior and that we are saved through being grafted to Israel and that God's a covenant of God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that basically emphasizes the God of history, history idea of history and human particularity ends up being fundamentally significant to how we think about God engages us and interacts with us. But if you erase Israel, and you kind of whitewash it in a sense, you end up with a different kind of a God where it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter who we are. It's a problem that kind of starts, you know, in a couple of centuries after Christianity develops and when the Roman Empire kind of start, ends up to, kind of hijacking Christianity, end up having anti-Semitic rejection of, of the Jewish people. So that's where the root is. When you understand scripture and its fundamental Jewishness that we can't really reject, that we have to acknowledge, 
then you think about what we call contextualization very differently. And I would always say contextualization, I mean, everything's already contextualized. The question is, because there's no pure gospel, right? So the question is, are we going to be aware of what's happening? I know that some reform people would, you know, uh, subscribe to Westminster standards. I mean, Westminster standards are some of the most historical and contextualized manifestations of the gospel. It's fine. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just that if you, if you have to acknowledge that, it, why would you not contextualize to a contemporary context and contextualize to, you know, 16th century England? That's a bizarre idea. So that's basically what I, what I would say. Thank you, Daniel. You, you make this historian's heart um, warm. I, I love to hear that kind of response because historians are, are all about context. To, to wrap up our time, as I, I really appreciate all that you, you have been doing, um, help us imagine where you th believe or think or feel Asian American Christianity is headed and what it will look like. Um, generally, what I think, what I see happening is, at least in terms of uh, generationally, I do see a greater awakening, like racial and kind of identity awakening uh, among Asian Americans, especially the younger generation. And I, I don't know, I don't know how widespread that is, but because Asian Americans live in this particular cultural context and culturally Asian American identity is shifting, I think it's why Asian American Christians and Asian American evangelicals are are following on as well. Even issues about Asian American representation, that's impacting everybody. I mean, I see it in my students, they're actually impacting them and they're trying to make some sense of it. The question is, for me often, I, is can we think about this theologically? I mean, just James, we're talking about this. A lot of churches and Asian American churches as well, and I would say even Asian American campus ministries, they are culturally and socially Asian American, but are they theologically Asian American? That actually is, is a very difficult thing to kind of own theologically, like what it means to be Asian American. And I would say it even goes for even a lot of ethnic churches, whether they be, you know, Taiwanese American or, or Indian American, are they theologically, right, those things? That's a, that's a different question altogether. And because we're part of the Asian evangelical ecosystem and the training is not there, right? the training is not there to help them understand what does it really mean. First of all, to see the fact that there's actually white normative everywhere, right? White normativity is everywhere. And the other aspect of it is the fact that what does it really mean to not only reject that, but construct something different. That is a very, very difficult task. That's basically when I got a PhD, I said, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to do with that. I don't do that. How do you, how do you handle all these different things? And that's one of the reasons I think why I thought in my calling, we needed to like center. How do we train people to do this thing? I see, I see high points, you know, and younger generation uh, having, diff, uh, I guess, greater subjectivity. And we'll just have to see. We'll have to see how things develop. We're going to need a lot of leaders. <laughs> Historically, nothing happens automatically. Like we, people actually have to do the work. And that's one of the things where I try to really encourage a lot of my students and say, get out there and do the work. Somebody has to do it. It's not going to happen automatically just because time flows. It just doesn't change that way. No, and I, I really do hear that. Um, and I, I do also want to just echo that that emphasis on the generational differences, because I know that's a huge one. People today, young people just have different views and understandings. And I think that's important to acknowledge. Daniel, thank you so much for giving us your time and your insights into this topic. Um, we wish you and the center God's richest blessings in your future endeavors. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. You can listen to Centering episodes at soundcloud.com backslash Centering Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Go in peace and remember that God loves and embraces all of who you are. Mm -hmm.